Hello, and welcome to Pause Pop, positively pop culture, where we talk about things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm Carrie Gessner. And I'm KW Taylor. This week is our special anniversary celebration episode, but we also have some fun segments for you. But first, as a reminder, we're still conducting our listener survey. We're just going to keep that up for maybe another week or so. So look for that in our show notes. And we also have it available as a link on our Twitter account at Podcast. Yes, please fill that out to help us shape our second year. This week, we're talking about the new Netflix film, Enola Holmes. We're revisiting some old segments from the past year. And we've got a special guest, Tom Coleman, talking about the CBS All Access series, Star Trek Lower Decks. All right, I'm excited. Let's jump in. So you watched Enola Holmes the other night, yes? Yeah, and you watched it as well, right? I did, yes. Okay, cool. (laughs) Making sure. (laughs) Yeah. Let's see. Do you want to give a little plot synopsis? Yeah, this is this just came out this year on Netflix. And it's based on uh, the book series by Nancy Springer, um, the Enola Holmes mystery series. The first book, it's mostly based on the first book, which is called The Case of the Missing Marquess. I have not read the books. Have you read any of the books? I have not. Okay. Yeah. And this was supposed to originally be a theatrical release until the pandemic hit, and then it was sold to Netflix. So it's about... Enola Holmes is the little sister of Sherlock Holmes, and she's played by Millie Bobby Brown from Stranger Things, and Sherlock is played by Henry Cavill, and Enola lives with, she's much younger than Sherlock and Mycroft, the other Holmes brother, and um, she lives with her widowed mother, Eudoria Holmes, played by Helena Bonham Carter, who is only like 14 years older than Henry Cavill, by the way, so it's not. (laughs) I did not know that. Yeah, I looked that up. Anyway. Yeah, she she lives in a country estate in England. And one morning, her mother is missing. She's not at the house. And so Enola has to somewhat with the help of her brothers, find her mother. And she has this adventure where she goes off to London by herself. And it's just wackiness ensues, but also some danger and adventure and intrigue. And yeah, and Enola is extremely bright. And so you can tell that the Holmes gene of being very, very clever and investigative is not exclusive to Sherlock and, and Mycroft. But clearly, even their mother is very into ciphers and mysterious messages and hiding clues in plain sight and things like that. So yeah, it's mostly about her trying to find her mom. But along the way, she meets this young man who's, what is he? What is he? He's like a lord or something. Oh, gosh, it was Tewksbury, something of Basil Weather. Yeah. <laughs> And was it Marques? Is it Marques? Yeah. Marquise? Marquis? However you say that. In French, it's Marquis, and that's how I always pronounce it, but I think it's technically Marques in English. But but he's going to be joining the House of Lords, and there's possibly people out to murder him. And so Enola is kind of helping him escape from these people. So kind of a little subplot. Yeah. And I do just want to point out that the day her mom disappears is the day of her 16th birthday. Yes. Which is like an extra hard hit because yes. it's like what do you want to give your thoughts on it or yeah i really liked it i thought it was very very cute it's very exciting i should say it's directed by harry bradbeer and i thought he did a great job of making it feel very sort of comedic but also like kind of scary at points and it reminded me a lot of the, the sherlock holmes movies with robert downey jr that were directed by guy ritchie i thought it owed a lot to that sort of aesthetic it was a little bit stylized it it felt not quite steampunk but there was a little bit of that sense there 
It's, you know, neo-Victorian sort of sensibility with not overt anachronisms, but a little bit. And she, Enola, like breaks the fourth wall and talks to the camera a lot, which I thought was very, very cute. (laughs) So yeah, I really enjoyed it. What did you think? Oh, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. I know a lot of our friends were talking it up and like it had been on my list, but I was like, oh, I'll get to it when I get to it. But I found I found it charming. Mm-hmm. I had fun for the whole two hours. I did struggle a little bit with the breaking of the fourth wall because I don't always love that. But mm-hmm. yeah, I I really thought it worked with the tone of the film. Mm-hmm. And it does very much feel like a YA adventure, mm-hmm. which I assume the books are. I have I like you. I haven't read the books. I would like to now. They sound very fun. But one of my friends also said that the movie is a lot different than the book. So mm. I guess we should be aware of that. Yeah. But yeah, I thought I thought she was great. I thought the whole cast was great. I thought I loved seeing Helena Bonham Carter. She always plays like such interesting characters, mm-hmm. even if she didn't have a whole lot of screen time here. Yeah. Oh, Fiona Shaw mm-hmm. is in it. She's pretty great. She plays a character who's not super great. <laughs> <laughs> but it was still fun to see her. And Susan Wacoma plays Edith, who was a supporting character, but very cool and very important. She she runs a tea shop that loans out inflammatory literature, and upstairs is like a jujitsu martial arts type of learning atmosphere. So <laughs> <laughs> she seems like super cool and like someone I would definitely want to be friends with. <laughs> but all of it takes place amidst not kind of they're kind of on the cusp of revolution and Mm -hmm. things are sort of hinted at they're not they don't get super political or spelled out but there's talk of women's suffrage and you know one vote per person not just the landed gentry and things like that Mm -hmm. so it yeah it felt very sort of modern in its sensibilities and enola you know she doesn't she doesn't like boys and she doesn't like being interested in regular society things. Mm-hmm. Much to the detriment of her oldest brother, Mycroft, who's played by Sam Claflin of The Hunger Games. And when their mother disappears, he becomes her guardian mm-hmm. and they just clash a lot. So yeah, it's definitely got a modern feel to it because of of the way Enola's written and she's just a lot of fun and... It's it's great to see a character who is 16 and like it's it's about a 16 year old. It doesn't feel like it's about someone older or and because she's so clever, we get to see her doing like really cool things and having these adventures where as if I had gone on an adventure at 16, I would have been like down the street at the gas station and been like, okay, I don't know what to do now. So I'm just gonna go home. So yeah, I think she's uh, she's a fun, cool, almost role model for yeah. for uh, younger teens. Yeah, so. yeah, and I mean, Millie is apparently a producer on the film, and she her she's sixteen in real life and liked the books a lot, and really this was her passion project, and it really shows through. I will say, I really really liked almost every single thing about this, but there were a couple of things that I wanted to maybe point out. First of all, it was like it felt about five minutes too long. I think that there's certain things that could have been condensed a little bit, but that's maybe just, just five minutes. Yeah, just five, five, ten minutes. Because <laughs> it is, it's like an two hours and a minute long. It's pretty long. Mm-hmm. And I also didn't totally love 
the way Mycroft was portrayed, he was very, very unlikable. Okay. And Sam Claflin is a good actor and a lot more handsome than he looked in this movie. He looked awful. <laughs> Mycroft is a is a contentious character. And, you know, in the Sherlock Holmes media, you're kind of supposed to always sympathize with Sherlock. And Mycroft is not a villain, but he's not a hero either necessarily. But in a lot of other Holmesian works, he comes off a lot more sympathetic. He's he's what Sherlock would have been if he'd always been a little bit more emotional and proper, which are two things that Sherlock is not really known for being. And and so I think that that's, I mean, plus he's a police detective in certain versions, too, which they don't really, they make him seem almost kind of mean and dumb in this. And I didn't really mm-hmm. love that. That's fair. Yeah. And you do have to have a minor antagonist. I mean, there was clearly big antagonists. But I think that Mycroft was serving the role as the the minor antagonist. And that's fine. Yeah. I understand where you're coming from. And I don't, I haven't read Sherlock Holmes stories in a long, long time. So I don't have that basis. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it very much seemed like it, it was exaggerated because it's from the perspective of a 16 year old girl. Mm-hmm. And her older brother stands for exactly all the things that she doesn't care about. Yeah. So yeah, it's very exaggerated. Yes. I mean, I think in the original stories, there's bits that make him seem unlikable, but it's, again, those are told from, like, Watson and Holmes' point of view, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar actually writes a series about Mycroft Holmes by himself, and I think he is more the protagonist of those, so from what I understand of those, he comes off much more positively. Cool. Yeah. Anyway, the other thing that I felt was a little bit, like, I wish it had, you mentioned it being a little bit apolitical, Eudoria, the mother, is very clearly a suffragette. But a lot of her political activity is very hidden and only hinted at. And again, I, again, we're from Enola's point of view, and so she's not really observed these things firsthand herself. But it would have been nicer if maybe that had been clearer in some of the scenes where we do hear from Eudoria a little bit more. Yeah. Because this was a very, very pivotal historical period in British feminism and kind of the the culminating point of first wave British feminism. So to me, as like a person who does study that era a little bit, I was kind of like, oh, man, this could have been a lot more overt, which would have been a great history lesson. But, you know, maybe the books go into it in more detail. And maybe viewers would get inspired to look this up a little bit. So yeah. Anyway. No, I totally agree with that. And that was one of my points that I didn't really care for. Mm -hmm. Because I very much like kind of quirky mysteries. And this is set up in the exact same way that I like. So when her her mom goes missing on her 16th birthday, and I was like, yes, follow those clues. <laughs> and, <laughs> and honestly, it didn't really get wrapped up that well, the main mystery. Yeah. So I was disappointed in that. And I thought they could have delved into the mom a bit more. And, you know, there's some there's some discomfort there because we're going to spoil a little bit, I guess. But when Enola follows some of these clues, she found she finds a, a warehouse full of gunpowder and bombs. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's implied that her mom and this group that she's with are going to use them if necessary, or maybe just if they decide they want to. But because we didn't see much from her perspective at all, I didn't feel like there was a lot of motivation there. And I was like, oh, is her mom a bad guy now? And yeah, it's not just that black and white, but maybe it's something because it's a, a series. Maybe they are going to try to make it the movies in the series and that maybe that would be explained later. But I 
was disappointed in the fact that that didn't really seem tied up at all. Yeah. 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 And I think I think that you can interpret that a lot of different ways as maybe life and politics are complicated. And she, right. for all her smart, I mean, Enola is very, very well read. She's very clever, but she was really not ventured much outside the confines of her estate. And so it's kind of symbolizing that for all that, she's still 16 and she's still then a, a bit sheltered. She may know yeah. all of Shakespeare, but she really doesn't know how to navigate London. And she, she learns some of that through the through the Marquess and through dealing with his his mystery. But yeah, it's it's like her mom's deal is so much more complicated that it's it's just too much for her to to really fully comprehend at her age. So I think too that the fact that Sherlock is shown as a at a point in more emotional development in this film that there is the idea that the Holmes family may be a little bit slow to develop a full understanding of things and that's just a family trait. And that that's not a bad thing. It just means that as you develop clue gathering over the course of your life, you're going to get better at at putting those clues together and contextualizing them a little bit more. So we could we could kindly think of it in that way, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. There's one more thing I didn't like, which is very minor. <laughs> but well, I just want to mention it because it it really took me by surprise, and like I physically looked away from the screen when there's there's a bad guy chasing them uh-huh. throughout some of the movie and the final confrontation his demise is graphic not in the sense of gory but it's graphic in that you see i'm i'm just gonna come out and say it you see his head hit against like a like not a sharp block but like a roundly pointed yeah thing object like a post a little a little post on something yeah. there you go thank you but it it just seemed a little bit out of tone with the rest of the movie. Yeah. And it took me out of it a little bit. And I was like, I did not expect to see such on-screen violence during this. But, you know, it probably doesn't bother other people, but it, it bothered me a little bit. Well, it's, it is technically rated PG-13, and I think that was definitely why. Because the rest of it mm-hmm. is not that. I mean, there's some moments where she's in some physical peril, but it's you know, she survives it and she's fine. But that moment was pretty disturbing. And um, it did bother me too. But again, I mean, for a, you know, it shows that there are stakes, unfortunately. And, and he was not a good guy. I'm not justifying it. But it was also totally self defense. And he was about to murder some people. So you know, but it was pretty gross. Also, that actor, the actor who played that guy, he's never a good guy. Like, I've seen him in all kinds of stuff. And every time I'm like, oh, he is. Is he? I've never seen him in a... He's... Have you seen Pacific Rim? No, you haven't. No, I haven't. Pacific Pacific Rim. Seen Pacific Rim. He's in Pacific Rim. Okay. Yeah. His name's Burn Gorman. Yeah. Character actor. Yeah. Yeah. I like him. He was also in Bleak House from 2008. Okay. Where he was not... Yeah, he wasn't a good character, but he wasn't like totally a bad character either. Anyway... My complaint is mostly with that it was shown instead of more implied. Yeah. 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 Because you, yeah, it had to happen and that had to get get resolved somehow. But the fact that it was just on screen and it lingered there and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. So if, if that kind of thing bothers you as a viewer, or if you're thinking about showing this to your children, it is definitely more for teenagers and up because it is upsetting. But I think that even with that, it's it's a pretty fun movie. And it does, even though, again, the feminism is sort of muted, it does still show women being very strong 
being very capable, physically strong and mentally strong and intelligent. And so that's always good. For sure. Yeah. Right now, the Kindle book is two ninety nine. <laughs> so I actually just went and grabbed that. Cool. So I'm very interested in reading the series and seeing if they end up making more movies because it seems like it's been well received. Yes. Yes. Cool. So we recently we recently talked to Tom Coleman, who is one of my co-stars on the cast Perilous, about Lower Decks, the new Star Trek animated series. So let's have a listen to that. Okay, so we are here today with my co-actor on the cast Perilous, Tom Coleman, who may also be my husband as well. <laughs> <laughs> and he is one of the biggest Star Trek fans I know, and we have been watching Star Trek Lower Decks on CBS All Access, which is amazing. So he's here to talk about that with us. So welcome. Hello, thanks for having me on your show. I've been waiting to be here. Thank you for coming. I know the right people, so. <laughs> you do. Funnily enough, KW was the one who nixed him coming on, and I was like, no, let's have him on. No! <laughs> I'm just kidding, that's a lie. <laughs> so you've actually been doing a slow rewatch of all Star Trek, right? Yes, I have. Started with the original series, I watched all of those episodes, and then watched the original animated series from the early 70s and there was just i think two seasons of that ish it's hard to tell but and then i just watched the uh first movie the star trek the motion picture not that long ago which is its own thing <laughs> <laughs> and you've seen all this before yes okay. i think there are maybe one or two episodes of voyager and enterprise i haven't seen okay just because when they were on, I was doing things like working at nights, and we didn't mm -hmm. have reliable recording technology, not like the wonderland <laughs> we have today, of being able to watch whatever we want, whenever we want. So, And we haven't finished uh, the current season of Picard, but other than that, I've seen all of Star Trek already, yes. Awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. So then tell us a little bit about Lower Decks. Now, I've been watching it with you, but Carrie, have you been watching this at all? No, I haven't. I'm excited because I know you guys love it a lot. So I want to give it a try. I just haven't yet. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, Lower Decks is an animated Star Trek show on CBS All Access. It's the second animated Star Trek series. The first one was in the early 70s, like I said, with the original series cast, most of them at least. And it was done by Filmation. So it had that very stilted and kind of blank-eyed animation with a bunch of recycled action scenes. But it was also very colorful and funky and weird and doing all the things you can do on a cartoon that you can't do on a real live-action TV show because of budgetary and special effects restraints. And there's actually a sec one of the early episodes of that series is a time travel story with Spock that really ranks up with any of the best, best of Star Trek in any form. Oh, cool. Yeah. And they've taken stuff from that episode, then really uh, it's resonated out into later portrayals of the character in Next Generation and Discovery. So, but this is the new one, and it pays a lot of homage to all the other Star Treks, including the animated series. There's a lot of winks and references to that in here, but it's called Lower Decks. And in response to, not response, and kind of like, the normal Star Trek show is 
you have your super competent bridge crew who goes out and explores and has adventures and does all this discovery around the galaxy. And this is not about them. This is about the people that do all the stuff behind the scenes. They're the junior officers on the ship. The ship in question here is the USS Cerritos, which is itself is kind of like a second-class ship. It specializes in second contact. So while ships like the Enterprise go and discover new planets and meet new aliens, these are the people that kind of come along later and you know, help <laughs> do all the cleanup and help people out and introduce them to stuff in the Federation and galaxy at large. And it's kind of a lot of uh, support work. But yeah, our characters on the show are there's Beckett Mariner, who is kind of the classic rule breaker character. She you know, is the sort of person that plays by her own rules and gets things done in her own way and is constantly being hassled for it. And her counterpart is Brad Boimler, who is the classic stickler for the rules and is very looking to become a captain himself one day and really does not want to make a bad impression on anybody. And so they have a back and forth of causing trouble in uh, their personality clashes, and Mariner is taking upon himself to be Boimler's mentor, try to help him, and he, he absolutely hates that. <laughs> so there's a lot of bickering and fighting, and their friendship growing throughout the series is part of the charm of it. And the other two okay. main characters are... Do you, have, do you have a question? Oh, no, I just... I said, okay, because okay. that... Friendship sort of appeals to me. <laughs> <laughs> friendship is good. <laughs> Yay, friendship. Mm -hmm. I feel like they're sort of like the Fonz and Richie Cunningham. Like it's the yeah, yeah, breakout definitely. wild character with the buttoned up nerdy character. And the wild character is trying to get the nerdy guy to be more loose and <laughs> the other way around too. So yeah, mm -hmm. it's very yeah. cute. It's the other characters. Yeah. The other two ensigns of the main characters are Sam Rutherford who is, he has new cybernetic implants that cause him a bunch of trouble. So that most of the comedy from him is trying to figure out his new giant skull implant that he <laughs> taps buttons on and has things weren't happened. Also, Devana Tendi is our only alien main character of the four. She is an Orion's. She has green skin. And she is the, just coming on board in the first episode, so she's kind of the uh, introductory character of the audience to uh, what's going on on the ship. Both Tendi and Rutherford are very excitable nerds. They're very happy about all the techie science stuff that they get to see and do on the ship. And I think there's a running joke of where some of them just hang out and watch the warp core. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds really cool. I'm on the IMDB page. <laughs> And I got kind of distracted because the tagline, I guess, is rarely going where no one has gone before, <laughs> which is cute. <laughs> so are the episodes half hour episodes? Yes. Okay. Is it more of a sitcom, like each episode is kind of its own thing, or is there an overarching uh, story to the season? There's a little bit of an overarching story, mostly on just the characters and their relationships growing. Mm -hmm. Okay. There is like a big sort of relationship secret that I don't know if we want to... I mean, they reveal it yeah. in even the first episode that yeah, Beckett Mariner is actually the captain's daughter. 
Yes. Okay. Captain is Carol Freeman. They both are trying to keep it secret, partially because Mariner doesn't want anybody to know she's the captain's daughter because they'll treat her weird and act like they want to suck up to her. And the captain doesn't want anyone to know that Mariner is her daughter because Mariner's kind of a screw up and <laughs> <laughs> reflects poorly on her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yet they have a kind of I mean, like, they they don't totally not get along sometimes. So that's kind of an interesting relationship and in how it develops. But Mariner clearly has some unresolved mommy issues. And it's kind of interesting how that plays out in various episodes. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So what are your favorite aspects of the show? Either within itself or in the broader Star Trek universe? What appeals to you about it? Like stylistically, and it's how it operates. It's very similar to other kind of genre cartoons like Futurama or Rick and Morty or the Venture Brothers where the characters kind of know they're living in this science fiction world and okay. operate with those assumptions of kind of like, all right, we know we know how this genre operates, even though it's reality to us, so we're gonna behave in that manner. But this has the extra layer of it's specifically a Star Trek science fiction universe. So there's a lot of things where like there's an episode where one of their friends that I think Boimler went to the academy with is on the ship, and he is like an even bigger goof off than anyone, any of the other characters, and is constantly screwing up and is trying to cover up those screw ups. And at one point, he kind of uh, says, "Well, we'll just blame the Q for doing this." Who uh, <laughs> <laughs> is the uh, classic Star Trek character of the uh, omnipotent agent of chaos that pops in every so often. And Q itself does make an appearance in another episode. But it's kind of like one of those things, well, well, yeah, you have these strange entities that can kind of show up and do whatever and screw things around and mess with stuff. So I, I imagine somebody would have at one point just said, yeah, let's just, let's just say Q came along and messed this up and we'll blame it on him. <laughs> and even with that, like, I really like it because it's even though I'm not as much of a Star Trek fan I still like Star Trek but I don't get all the really inside references as much but it's very very frenetic and it's really funny mm -hmm. and it's like so much is thrown at the screen that you just can't really even absorb all of it like oh my goodness okay <laughs> Mariner is the most kind of off the wall cartoon character I've ever seen she's just she's a lot and I've seen some reviews that kind of don't like that about her but I really like it. She's just incredibly like full of manic energy, and it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, she attacks every problem with the same level of enthusiasm and energy, and it usually works out for her. But <laughs> not always. There's usually a wake of destruction at some point. But yes, yeah. And uh, she's played by Tawny Newsom, who she's also on Space Force as the helicopter pilot. I don't know if you realize that, Tom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so she's really she's really, mm -hmm. really good in that role. Yeah. Cool. I got a little nervous when you were like, it's frenetic and you almost can't absorb everything. Because <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I just can't really do that. I'm not in the mood for something so like stimuli heavy. But mm -hmm. she sounds like a, a really interesting character. Yeah, she's mm -hmm. really fun. And I think that she and Brad play off each other very well. He's played by Jack Quaid. All the voice actors are really, really good. One thing that I find really weird is that Jerry O'Connell plays Jack Ransom, who's one of the, he's the first officer on the bridge. And I 
to this day can't recognize his voice in that context. <laughs> like, I don't know what he's doing, but he's doing a good job, but he, mm-hmm. he does not sound like himself at all. <laughs> There's also like Tiana is a doctor and she's like head of the medical group or whatever. And she's technically, I guess, Tendi's boss. And she's a cat person. And she's like really mean and bitter and like just grumpy all the time. I'm Mm -hmm. like, that's such a cat. (laughs) And she's like a a humanoid cat who walks around drinking coffee and is really like angry at the world. (laughs) I really like her a lot. That sounds great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's pretty great. Yeah. And uh, Don Lewis, Captain Freeman is great too. And veteran character actor Don Lewis from Veronica Mars and um, A Different World. She's wonderful. But yeah, it's just a really, I, I mean, when I say frenetic, like it's still, it's still very sitcom-y. It's still very consumable. You just kind of, it's the sort of show you kind of have to pay attention. Yeah. But I think you would enjoy it, actually. I Yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to give it a try for sure. Mm-hmm. Not that I would understand really the answer to this question, but what area of time <laughs> does this take place? At, like, is it like original series time contemporary with or like picard or discovery <laughs> does do you know <laughs> yeah uh, of course i know it's uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> my bad my yeah. bad sorry no it takes it's kind of the end of the next generation era it's okay i think it takes place in 2380 is the date that now makes that, a now lot that of i've sense. said something like that i need to absolutely verify it <laughs> <laughs> I just I just looked it up and it is yes. the year twenty three twenty three eighty right so that's just after the last next generation movie Star Trek Nemesis okay but it's probably about because I think Picard takes place in twenty three ninety nine so it's significantly before that but after kind of all of the previous existing series and gotcha. movies so they've got a wide space to work in without Mm -hmm. bumping up against it in the other shows and technically this is supposed to be canon but i guess it's a a goofier level of canon (laughs) yeah (laughs) cool well as a star trek fan if you can answer this question cool if not that's okay too but (laughs) what is your favorite star trek series or movie uh (laughs) that's difficult like um yeah it's okay. If, if it's okay if you don't have the answer. Probably Deep Space Nine is the best okay. one overall. I mean, Next Generation was my first, like the first fandom thing I was really into. And okay. there's a there was a time when I could just kind of like look at a still from one of the episodes and be like, ah, oh, this is episode <laughs> 23 of season four where they are <laughs> here on this planet doing this. And I can't quite do that anymore, but... yeah. That's pretty incredible. My level of Star Wars knowledge was up there at one point, like in high school. And I have a Star Wars Trivial Pursuit game. And I wonder if there's a Star Trek version. Oh, I'm sure. Probably is, but I don't know of one offhand. We'll look it up. When the world is normal, you'll have to come play. There's a bar near us that does nerd trivia every month. And it's very heavy on both Star Wars and Star Trek. So oh, nice. you have to come and... and beat everyone with your star wars knowledge carrie well i assume we would be on the same team so we would team up and you would have star trek knowledge and i would have star wars knowledge. yes yes Mm -hmm. very complimentary yes yes awesome i have one more question i haven't seen a lot of star trek as Mm -hmm. we've talked about on the podcast before but if you had to recommend just one series or movie to someone 
relatively new to the fandom, what do you think is the best introduction? Oh, that is difficult. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Like, yeah, I would think you would have to, like, probably some of the, uh, probably just like a handful of the original series episodes to watch. Do do we want to be, do we want to go there where I just start naming episodes and... Maybe not quite that in detail. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That could be almost its own segment, like yeah. how to yeah. prescriptively indoctrinate someone into Star Trek <laughs> yeah. in what order. Mm-hmm. This is not a bad entrance, though. If you if you like comedy and you're resistant to mm-hmm. Star Trek because you think, oh, I don't really want to commit to a hour long, you know, set of drama series. This is like really bite sized and fun, and I think that it can. It makes me want to watch Next Generation. It, it has a lot mm-hmm. in common with Next Generation. So I think that it could be a good entry into going back at least that far. And Carrie, you and I tried to watch Enterprise as another way into the Star Trek universe. And that wasn't a bad way in. And I think Discovery is even a pretty good mm-hmm. way in, too. So there's a lot of ways in. Awesome. I'm probably going to check out Discovery very soon because my mom's really into it now. So Oh, cool. cool. Yeah, I was there last weekend and she was like, I'm going to watch Star Trek if that's okay. I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. Like, I'm, you do what you want to do, mom. <laughs> and then she's like, watch it with me. I'm on episode 12 of season one. And I was like, no, I will absolutely not start on episode 12. <laughs> <laughs> no, that would be really hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be a new season of that starting this fall. They got enough film before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're excited about that awesome yeah but uh lower decks is probably a good entry point just because it's you know the episodes are short and it's very approachable and you can kind of just you don't need to have the encyclopedic trek knowledge to get all the jokes you can just enjoy the story as they come and as much as i'm enjoying discovery and picard for new star trek both of those shows are pretty dark mm-hmm. i think they're just they're they're reflecting the times they're made in a lot and so getting a lot of the past uh, few years of the real world are reflected in the Star Trek world. This doesn't really have that quality. So you're getting a little, little, little light bites of Trek. Yeah. Okay, great. I, I've actually been watching more animated stuff, too. So this will fit in very nicely. Great. Cool. Well, thank you. Thank you for being willing to finally come on the show. And we'll certainly have you back again to talk either more Trek or something else soon. Okay, great. Thank you. Thanks. You're welcome. Thank you to Tom again for coming by and talking about Star Trek. I'm definitely going to sit down and watch some Lower Decks and also probably Discovery. So yeah, I'm excited. Cool. But it is our anniversary episode. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. I didn't get you any paper-themed gift. I did not either, so. (laughs) (laughs) I honestly, it's been such a busy week, I I didn't even think about it, but. No, I didn't either. (laughs) I don't think it's important. (laughs) No. But yeah, as part of our anniversary, we both went back in our list of episodes and we picked out some things that we wanted to talk to each other about, like to kind of follow up on. So. Mm Mm-hmm. So Carrie, a recent episode, we talked about Taylor Swift's Folklore album. So have you been listening to that more? Have you developed more thoughts about it? Or 
How are you feeling about it now? I am feeling even more excited about it. <laughs> well, when we talked about it, we'd only it had only been out for a week or two. Yeah. And I have recently been playing that almost exclusively in the car. Aww. <laughs> I know, right? Because I was listening to a, a long, a long running podcast and I'd finished it. And then I was like, what do I listen to now? So yeah, it's, this has been the default and I just really, really like it. Aww. <laughs> so I just wanted to reiterate that. I don't really have any more thoughts about it, but uh, it makes me feel good. So good. yeah. <laughs> I have still, I've still listened to some songs from it. I haven't listened to it all, all the way through too much more right. since we talked about it, but it comes up in my because I, I have a thing where I will I'll like a song and then I'll sometimes just play my Spotify all liked songs mixed together. Yeah. yeah. And it comes up, st- stuff from that album comes up a lot in that big mix. And so as a result, I end up getting, my recommendations now are a little bit skewed toward, what did we call it before? We called it cabin core or what was it? Cottage core. Cottage core. <laughs> I'm getting a lot of cottagecore yeah. recs, but also some lots of dance music because that's the other thing I listen to a lot of. So it's a very, <laughs> like... Uh, all over the place set of recommendations that I get. But anyway, eclectic. Very eclectic. That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> so instead of, instead, I mean, you have been listening to this, but you've also, when we talked about community a couple months ago, I think, mm-hmm. early in the pandemic, maybe? Yeah. You were doing a rewatch of that, right? Well, yeah, you and I, we watched the pilot episode. And I think we both were kind of like, eh, I mean, it's fine. <laughs> it, it doesn't really... I don't know, the pilot is not its strongest episode. And yeah. so for a while, I didn't, I didn't do any kind of rewatch, but then it, it dropped on Netflix. And previously, it had just been on, I think, Hulu, and maybe okay. Prime or something. But having it go to Netflix without commercials and everything, that was something where Tom and I were also like watching a lot of older shows during the pandemic as like old sitcoms as sort of comfort <laughs> viewing. Mm-hmm. And so that became one that we watched all the way through. And we we hit that really hard. We watched it pretty constantly. And it it's a nice. show that gets better as it goes. And by the end, it was just like, I mean, I was another it's another sitcom where I'm crying during the, you know, <laughs> serious finale and like, yeah. oh, why wasn't there more, you know? <laughs> so that's, that's something that I think when you and I watched the pilot, we were both very meh. And even though I'd seen the show before, and liked it, knew it got better. I was like, I don't really need to binge this now but yeah if anyone took that and was like yeah I'm not gonna watch it no trust me it gets so good it gets so good it's a very meta show and it doesn't start out that way it just slowly becomes like that and so if you want a tv show that's like literally mostly about pop culture and referentialness and nerdiness and silliness it's really good for that so I definitely recommend it cool would you say it takes the whole first season to get better Almost even into the second. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's a bit of a slow thing. But there's a lot of funny stuff early on that gets better even from the pilot. They they don't add the character of Professor Chang until the second episode. So he, especially in the first season, he gets kind of ridiculous as the series goes on, but he adds a lot to even the second episode. So I think that they just didn't have the whole formula for the show very solidified in that first episode. Okay. And... Like I said, it just gets better as they figure out who the characters really are. Cool. So, yeah. But you have been doing a lot of gaming, right? I have. Yeah, I'm very excited. So we had talked about Skyrim, which mm-hmm. I continue to play. I'm 
approaching the end of the main storyline and doing some side quests and stuff, but I also started playing Dragon Age Inquisition, which is, it's fun. It's a little bit different because I use a controller to play Skyrim and Dragon Age Inquisition is, I use the keyboard. So sometimes the transition is a little clunky. (laughs) And when I try to fight things, I'm like, wait, which button am I pressing? (laughs) (laughs) But it sort of reinforced my enjoyment of fantasy RPGs. And one of the things that I am noticing as I play more is that, you know, I get to make characters at the beginning and I keep tending to make like these characters who are kind of outsiders so in in skyrim my character is an orc and in dragon age my character is a a canary um and they're sort of not monstrous but they're they're taller and they've got she's got horns so they're just kind of outsiders and i just thought you know that was kind of interesting and i've also been playing RPGs more regularly. I have a regular D&D group who they're great and right now we just started the Ghost of Saltmarsh in the regular D&D 5th edition game. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to we're like about to explore Haunted House. I'm very <gasps> excited about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I listen to a lot of Critical Role, mm-hmm. which is if listeners don't know, it's a real play D&D podcast. It's a very long campaign and that it's made up of a bunch of voice actors and I really just got to know the characters and the cool thing is the more I listened, the more I learned about playing the game, mm-hmm. which is really cool. And I'm listening to the cast Perilous, which is a lot of fun. I consider Jeff a friend, so I don't want to be like, dude, put out an episode every week instead of every <laughs> other week. <laughs> but so sorry, Jeff. I don't want to pressure you, but <laughs> But I am having a lot of fun with that, and your character is is named Julie, and she she just came back to town and is in is interested in like making money and, and stuff. <laughs> and I just think I just think your character is really cool. Thank so, you. Yeah, I'm just I'm just having a lot of fun gaming, and it's a good way to connect with people I can't really hang out with except online nowadays. And I'm getting into it enough that I would really like to try. GMing a game like a one shot or a two shot so cool you know we'll see we'll see where that goes yeah but yeah I'm reading a game that we talked about when we interviewed Jeff the last time the dialect game and it's the thing that's disappointing is that you need cards and it's almost impossible to do from a distance especially with the pandemic and so I'm trying to figure out if there's a way to but it's it's kind of a fun challenge to think about how do you adapt gaming to distance communication so yeah that's great that's a good question yeah it's it really depends on the game too it really does yeah i think D and things very like D lend themselves perfectly to it and it's it's very easy to do and then there's other things that just need little tiny mechanical things that you that makes it a little bit more challenging but there's ways to work around it i think that i can figure something out cool good luck thank you good luck to you and if you want to play something sometime let me know Thank you. I will. I think it would be very cool to play a game with you. Yeah, thanks. But you've been watching also, or you finished watching all of the 80s sitcom Double Trouble, which we talked about a few weeks ago. Yes. So how did that go? Okay, so there's only two seasons of it. It was not like this un- that's huge undertaking and two short seasons. I think the show is only like 20 some episodes long. 
But we watched the pilot and I had already watched the second episode. And like, it was dumb. Like I was like sitting there. This is so dumb. I recognize (laughs) this is dumb. But I watched the heck out of that. And I watched it all so fast. And I was so sad to see that end. And like, I almost was like, (laughs) Should I start writing Double Trouble fanfic? But then I... Yes. Well, I did write... I wrote a little <laughs> bit of something and I'm like, this is not... This is stupid. I don't know where I want this to oh, go. Oh, no. So, but yeah, that was one of those things where it kind of like sneaks up on you that it's very comforting and very cute. And it's just very... There's episodes that aren't, but for the most part, it's a very wholesome show. It's very silly. There's some weird moments, though, where their dad is kind of toxic in how he treats them a little bit. But that that sort of happens in season two. But other than that, it's, it does not hold up. Like, it aged poorly. It's very stuck in its era. But I think that's part of its charm, too. Like, it's it's just what it is. You know, it's there's nothing very intellectual yeah. about it. It's just a show about these two twin girls having really minor adventures. <laughs> They're not very heavy stakes <laughs> things. So, yeah, that was just something that I was surprised that I got as into as I did. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we've talked about this a little just off the air about we're seeking more comfort items and i think something like that that doesn't make you think a whole lot Mm -hmm. is definitely in that category yeah for sure there's nothing wrong with that right no i think that's why we're so into the mask singer (laughs) yeah even before the pandemic it was like this little respite of of goofiness Mm -hmm. and things like the floor is lava and other stuff where it's like you know let me just turn my brain off a little bit but still be invested enough that i care what happens Right. But it's very, very non-controversial and everything turns out okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but you were watching this year, you were watching the new Batwoman series, which maybe not as just pure comfort viewing, but certainly bad guys right. get it in the end mostly, right? <laughs> yeah, mostly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't quite sure how I was going to feel about it because, you know, I love superheroes, but I don't love every superhero show. But I was pretty impressed with the pilot, and yeah, the more it went on, I really looked forward to watching it every week. I don't have a lot of shows that I watch week to week, Mm -hmm. so that's a little bit unusual. And I just really liked the cast. Ruby Rose plays Kay Kane, Cameron Johnson plays Luke Fox, and Nicole Kang plays Mary Hamilton, and they have great relationships because Kate and Mary are stepsisters, and... Luke is Kate's assistant slash like tech guy. So over the course of the season, they get to be really close and Mary gets to be, I'm going to spoil that, Mary gets to be in the Bat Gang. <laughs> and yeah, it, like the characters bring a lot of joy and I really liked the relationships that they were portraying. The one thing is they got cut short by COVID. Mm-hmm. So they ended up having like 20 episodes instead of 22. So they didn't have like an actual season finale. Mm-hmm. But they managed to pull it off pretty well, and I don't really know how they cobbled that together. Because <laughs> they did have a cliffhanger for season two, and I was like, oh. I mean, they must have filmed that earlier or something. But they did that really well. And then the surprise came over the summer that Ruby Rose, who plays the main character, did not want to continue the show for whatever reason, which is absolutely her right. But she kind of won me over as Kate Kane, so I'm really interested to see how they move forward. What I've heard is that Kate is kind of going to go missing or disappear for a while. And they brought in Javicia Leslie to become the new Batwoman. And she's not she's not replacing her. She's not playing Kate Kane. She's going to play Ryan Wilder. But she's going to step into the boots and the cloak. And I'm just really 
looking forward to it. So cool. Yeah, I'm excited for when it comes back. I have no idea when it comes back because like yeah. <laughs> COVID. Yeah, COVID. <laughs> Stupid COVID. So, but you've been watching Marcella, which is a lot darker yeah. than that woman. So yeah. how's are you watching that in juxtaposition to Community and Double Trouble? <laughs> so much lighter. Well, let me tell you, I was very all in with Marcella and I was I was getting into it and we did our segment on Nordic Noir and I watched a little bit more of it, but I got really stalled out. And so that was my thing to discuss today that I have sort of changed how I feel about it since we last discussed it. Gotcha. For maybe for the worse. So Community and Double Trouble, I was like a little bit more in all in and became more enthusiastic about. This was I was less. And it's not that I won't pick it back up, but it is, I think, this just fills back in with our same theme of it's not the tone that I need right now. It's like the complete yeah. opposite. So I've continued to watch some dark shows like Better Call Saul is still brilliant. I caught up with it and I'm eagerly awaiting more and I, I can't wait for more. And that's not a happy show at all. But Marcella is even darker. And so I just think, you know what, for now, I'm just going to push pause on that and not <laughs> yeah, and not keep going. And that's okay, you know? That is totally okay. I actually watched the first season after we had talked about it, and mm -hmm. there was a really long break between watching episode one and episode two because there was that, like, immediately I pumped the brakes. I was like, I don't know if I can handle this. Yeah. But I was really interested in the mystery, and obviously it's a really well done show. Mm -hmm. And I ended up finishing the first season, which is eight episodes, just because I wanted to know what happened. But I was like, I can't. I cannot watch seasons two and three. Yeah. So I totally get it. Yeah. But someday, maybe when things are better in the world, I will feel more like, you know what, I can I can deal with something dark that's <laughs> older and that's fine. For sure. But, you know, I think it's interesting that we, we've had 52 episodes of talking about various things and watching old pilots, watching new stuff, reading new books, reading old books, talking about music and stuff. And when I was looking at all of our old episodes, I still feel pretty positive about most of the stuff that I covered. And yeah. yeah. That's great. I was looking through and I don't think I really have less enthusiasm for anything. There yeah. were, I mean, there were a few like pilots that I was like, maybe I'll watch more and I didn't really end up watching more. Yeah. But yeah, I, I feel very positively about a lot of the stuff we covered. So cool. Very excited that we are, you know, trying to put some positivity out in the world. Yes. You are allowed to like things without feeling bad about it and without apologizing for it. That is absolutely correct. <laughs> <laughs> so next week, we've got more great pop culture content, as well as some special anniversary surprises. So please watch your feed. Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at KWTaylorWriter. And me on Twitter at Carrie Gessner. And you can find us together on Twitter at Pause Pop Podcast, where you can also find the link to our listener survey. If you'd like to email us, you can do that at positivelypopculture at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy and safe and join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. <laughs>